let's have you guys introduce yourselves. Kevin, do you want to start? Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, so my name is Kevin Reese, and I am the technical evangelist for a new product from Sage, uh, Sage Group PLC, uh, and it's called Sage Live. Awesome. Matt. Matt, fr friend of the show, Matt. Hey, I'm your, I'm your number one fan. Well, there's a few of us are fans. Yeah, I'm, uh, my name is Matthew Morris. I'm a Salesforce consultant from the UK. Um, Salesforce MVP as well. Um, yeah, I've been doing Salesforce implementations and customizations since 2009. So it's all good, right? Yeah. And a new podcast. And I got a new podcast. Yeah. So thanks, thanks for having me on. It's not exactly like we're rivals or anything, but uh, yeah, technology flows. <laughs> we're three episodes in. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. And you've got a double header because right after this one, you're recording your podcast with a special guest, right? Special guest, industry analyst, firebrand, James Governor yeah. from Red Monk. Yeah, so that should be good. I bumped into him yesterday. We were talking for about 45 minutes. So we thought it might be better just to uh, put a mic on it, right? There you go. Yeah. Awesome. So what do we want to start with? Well, we just came out of the developer keynote. That's true. Yeah. John, did you hear anything in there that you found interesting? No. <laughs> You're the coolest. No, you know, the problem is that the keynote is towards the end of the week, and we've been out here kind of consuming all this information. So we're out here in the dev zone. I'm talking to people. We're talking to people who are in Heroku or, or you know, all the lightning stuff. So. Most of it we're kind of seeing, so we're just kind of getting the, a bigger picture demonstration of it. So, you know, it wasn't anything that I was really surprised by because I've already been kind of consuming this information throughout this whole event. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of the things were pre-announced. Right. Um, was, uh, so Heroku pipelines, that was pretty interesting. Um, if you do Heroku development, I think that's new. Yeah. No, a new announcement. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty cool. It was um, it, it basically, so in, instead of the traditional, I guess, type of build and deployment process where you might have like a, a script or some kind of system that's, you've got a continuous integration and, you know, you've got maybe a, like a almost push button, you know, type of deployment right. situation. It's kind of turns it around a little bit. So you, you might still have, you know, some, you know, obviously you've got, you know, build scripts and a build system that knows how to build whatever it is you're working on. But then, but Heroku is listening in into your, into your GitHub account, right? And based on certain events, it's actually pulling out, you know, like if you might, you might point it to a certain branch in Heroku, right? And it's listening on that branch, and then when there's, you know, commits pushed to that branch, it pulls them, you know, creates a staging environment, builds it, and deploys it to, to staging, right? And you can you get a kind of a visual, almost like the, the, the visual Kanban board almost, right? It's mm -hmm. like, a, you know, these different stages. So you've got, you know, some number of, of developer uh, instances, and then some number of you know QA or test instances, and then and then finally production. And basically, with this push button, you can you know move these builds along your pipeline until they're ultimately in production. Yeah, it's so, all great. Um, I, I I feel a little. Uh, I'm I'm watching this and I'm going, that's great. But I want to do that in for Salesforce. I, I want to do that on the platform. That's the frustrating thing about the, the, deploy, Heroku, the right? deployment is cycle, it, the continuous yes. integration things that they had right. going. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. such a tease. Yeah. And you can you can approximate that on sales on the Salesforce One platform, but it's you know it's, there's just so many aging bits of of the Salesforce One platform that make it difficult to really achieve that. You know the the whole deployment model is not conducive to that. Um, 
and it, it just you know makes it difficult. Well, yeah. that's always your uh, that's kind of one of your pet peeves, isn't it? You, you mention that pretty much every week when I listen to you guys. It is, and and there's you know there there are people that have done some interesting work to, to try to make that better in the community, right? Um, and like I said, that's why I said you you can approximate some sane build and deployment process, but it's it's just not there yet. But we don't even have to be vague about it. We have someone who's lived and experienced yeah. this here. Very, very recently. Right. So, so, so yeah, Kevin, why don't you, I mean, I, I was really, because we came, came down and saw you, you know, yesterday, and, and I was really curious about the story of how you guys, you know, put this team together in like this record amount of time, right, and built the Sage Live product in, like, you know, a record amount of time. And, and this is the platform that you're working with. So, you know, you're probably pretty familiar with, you know, the ups and downs, and uh, you know, all the different bits of, of building on Salesforce uh, One. Exactly. I know you managed to keep some of your hair. <laughs> just, I, I'm just, it's receding quickly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, what, what was that like for you guys? Difficult. Uh, so traditionally, Sage build on uh, Microsoft products, host on uh, AWS or Azure. Um, so this was a bit of a learning curve. So we uh, we got a very very good quick introduction to Salesforce. So just a bit of a background. Um, we partnered with uh, Salesforce back in February, uh, uh, and on the 1st of February, they flew a team of us out to San Francisco to get a crash course in Apex development, in Visual Force, in Lightning, in, in pretty much everything on the platform, continuous integration. Um, and for two weeks solid, I think I left uh, the Salesforce offices for less than 15 hours every single day, so it was pretty soul-destroying. Uh, but fantastic, you know, what a, what a way to do it. <laughs> right. um, you know, it was absolutely it's the whole immersion experience, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was this it was surreal experience of we're building stuff, we're learning stuff, and we get this PM and that PM are coming in and telling us all about how to do things and how best to do things and what's coming and what's coming next and what's coming in three releases. And it's, it's kind of this amazing insight that we didn't really understand at the time because we're just really getting to know what we're doing. Uh, so it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and they connected us with some great PMs at the time. And touching on continuous integration, um, we, we were instantly connected to Jason Lance from the Salesforce Foundation and his works on continuous integration and deployment mm -hmm. uh, for the foundation customers. Uh, so that's the model that we're using for continuous integration using Jenkins and GitHub. Um, so it's, uh, it, it works. It's Windows-based. It's not Heroku-based, as, as we probably should be following. Uh, but just with the learning curve we were on, trying to pick up Heroku and bring that in as well. Whereas our current kind of Sage's got a very big continuous integration live services team, right? Uh, experts on Windows, so we we installed Jenkins and used that from a Windows environment. Okay. So yes, it was a uh, touch on continuous integration. It's very much from a desired point. Uh, lots of manual steps, uh, lots of kind of compromises, uh, but we're working with it. So when you guys started this project, so you know, you, you were saying it was uh, sometime in February, right? Yeah, February first. And then within what you know time frame did you guys have a you know working product? So let me give you some insight into some of those. So we did uh, a part of the initial was to do a proof of concept. So we had to develop something and take it back to our global HQ in uh, in the north of England and present it back to the Sage Group board, which is pretty terrifying um, when you you know you're part of this secret incubation where you have to produce something on a brand new platform and present it to the group execs. Uh, so we, we, we spent all of the time in San Francisco developing this proof of concept and we took it back to the board, uh, bated breath and they absolutely loved it. Wow. Um, so two weeks we got a kind of proof of concept in there and that was to develop some of the features as, uh, of our SSB product which is called Sage One. 
so it's a global product for uh, self-employees and startups. And we were, we were trying to take some of the functionality of that and show how quickly that can be built on top of Salesforce One. And that was very successful. So then, effectively from the 1st of March, uh, we started developing uh, what was codenamed S2, uh, which is now called Sage Live. Uh, and as of uh, our Sage Summit, pre-demos, middle of May, we developed the core accounting engine. So you can see the timescale on that. So it's very, very quick. Yeah. Uh, so we delivered what effectively was a core accounting engine, which has taken software company, companies traditionally years to do, was developed in two and a half months. That's really impressive. I mean, you guys must have had a solid vision for this product when you started, because if you, if you don't have a laser focus, you know, there would have really been no way to, to accomplish that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, a lot of credit that goes to our global CTO, a guy named Klaus Michael Vogelberg. Um, and he did some very early research. So when we got a new CTO, uh, sorry, CEO in November called Stephen Kelly, he's been on stage a few times this week. Uh, he's really a big ambassador for SMBs. Uh, and Sage traditionally developed everything on-premise or hybrid cloud because we didn't make that step to true cloud. And he said immediately, we're going to do cloud. We're going to do it properly. We're going to do it big. Um, so yeah, he kind of he, he set Klaus Michael on a, on a task, and I imagine some very short time scale to go find something platform that is robust enough and uh, has the longevity to run a Sage product, uh, which is quite a big thing when you've got three million customers worldwide. They expect something good. Um, so he had, I think, about a month. So he, uh, he spent some time with some friends who developed on the platform uh, from uh, a company called Fairsale, who do HR, a company called Kimball, do PSA, and he had these connections of people who have been developed on the platform for years. So we, uh, he very much had that laser sight on which platform it was going to be. Uh, met the guys, met Doug, met Skip, met Keith Block and all those guys. And kind of you know, had really in-depth conversations about how this would work, how this would work going forward. Um, and then Klaus Michael's been you know, group CTO for Sage for a very long time. And I think he's seen a lot of good products. But he's also an accountant himself. You know, he has an accounting background as well as a software developer. So he really understood, having done charity work and, and run systems for charities, how should this work and how should this work for SMBs? How should it be powerful and flexible and not tie them in and not force them to change their business model based on their software? Let it, you know, let them run it, not it run them. So he had a really good idea of what it was, how he wanted to work, which key features he wanted to do. And when we, when we formed in San Francisco, so there was a team of us that came over, developers, but also analysts. So they spent five, uh, five days uh, locked in a room coming up with core, sound, core, core concepts, excuse me, uh, and then they spent the next five days kind of mapping them out, PowerPointing them up, you know, testing how they were going to work. And by the time we got back from San Francisco, not only did we have a proof of concept product, but we had a, a fantastic uh, proof of concept. Uh, so that was, that was all done while you were with the group. You, you guys didn't have like a an architecture in mind or design in mind ahead of time? Uh, what Klaus Michael may have done, but he didn't share it with us, but when he, you know, very much came out in that group of analysts and they spent, like I said, 10 days, probably 11 or 12 days in the end, locked in a room, really working out these concepts. And, and the analysts were full of kind of software developers and analysts mm. and uh, there's a CPA was in there, so, you know, based in North America, we had analysts from Spain, analysts from the UK, Klaus Michael uh, from kind of Germany way, but lived in the UK for many years. So it really was truly cross legislation from day one uh, and how that would work not only for UK SMBs mm -hmm. but for worldwide SMBs as well. Yeah, so you, you mean you guys really put together uh, you know, a, the, the right team to go, come and yeah, execute on, on that. It, it, you know, to me it, it, says, um, it says a lot about, about Salesforce that you know, an established 
um, global company like Sage, you know, evaluates all the different cloud platforms out there you can develop this on, and you choose, you know, the Salesforce One platform. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I met someone yesterday, a guy called Adam Hale, uh, and he said to me, so if anyone asks me why we chose Salesforce One, my answer is very, very simple. Salesforce are the biggest cloud platform provider by an absolute magnitude. Seven billion revenue compared to the nearest competitor of seven million revenue. You know, it's very obvious which is the cloud platform provider to choose. Right. And I think whether that was, you know, the thought behind Klaus Michael or whether technically, since he's a very technical guy, he'd, he'd use the platform and, and he'd seen the real true power and potential in it. Either way, I think the, the right choice yeah. was made. And you know, I mean, we, we, a lot of a lot of us guys have been working on on with, in the Salesforce ecosystem and on this platform for so long. And you know, obviously, we 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 know it's good parts. We 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 know it's you know the, the more parts that you struggle with. Um, when you guys were you know evaluating the Salesforce One platform, or when you started working on it, I mean, there's so many things I think I take for granted, like just the fact that um, you've got security and authentication and this. You know, extremely robust database and availability, and just you know all that. I mean, it's it's very easy to take that for granted, right? Which I'm sure I'm guilty of. We all are. What <laughs> what were the things when when you guys started started this project? Um, most of you probably being new to Salesforce, right? Definitely. What what were the things that struck you as as, as wow, this is this is great that we get this like right out of the box? Yeah, well, I think for Sage, someone who who's generally does a lot of cloud-based stuff, but it's hybrid cloud, so Azure and AWS. Provisioning is a huge, huge drain on resource. You know, doing the security checks, doing all the kind of provisioning works, new customers coming on board, and we've got live services team all around the world that are managing this for our customers. We don't do that. This is incredible. We've got one guy who, is the, who was the head of the LSM in the UK, um, and he's, he's running this whole thing for us right now. He's just one guy. Very clever guy, but one guy. You can just do it because there's no real provisioning. It's all taken care of. Security's taken care of. We don't, you know, submitting for security review. Very simple. We're just checking what we're calling out, which is very little anyway. Yeah. Uh, and all of this is just, it's just fantastic. It's just, to look at it from the power of that is incredible. Right. Uh, but there's, you know, several other things. We were having this very discussion last night. Um, John Hume, who's the product owner and uh, senior architect on the project, was meeting yesterday with Josh Kaplan, um, and we were talking about several new things, uh, several things that we're not entirely happy about, about debugging, for instance. But they were talking about uh, things like you know security, uh, encryption. The encryption model on Salesforce is fantastic. You know, it doesn't exist that good on Azure or anywhere else, and it's just fantastic. You know, it's just there, it's just out of the box. You don't need to do a great deal, but you get this amazing level of encryption directly into your platform. And are you referring to the like encryption at rest? Some of the some of the new functionality that they've announced. At, what was the um, what was the red tape cloud called? Um, Shield. 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 Are you guys, you know, taking advantage of any of that, or we haven't done yet. No, and I think um, you know we only really kind of got involved in this discussion yesterday, and unfortunately I couldn't make the meeting. But I, this is all I, what I got off the back of it. But you know, it's something that we should be and could be using. Okay. And and the the implementation time is very little. So absolutely. Yeah. That's outstanding. I mean, so I mean, the product itself that you guys have built, you know, where does that? Because obviously, you know, Sage has got a, a huge portfolio of products, yeah. right? That probably a lot of people who who are in business are familiar with. Where does this? Where does Sage Live fit in? You know, what's new about it? How does it? How does it fit into your existing portfolio? Who are you targeting? Okay, so uh, just to, I'll add to that with a kind of bit of background as well is. 
when Stephen Kelly came in, um, Sage has always grown via acquisition. We're 35 years old. We've bought lots of businesses around the world and we've operated very regionally. Uh, Stephen came in and said, we need to operate globally. You know, we've got all this resource, we've got all these people, all these very smart people who are doing things and, and duplicating resource and duplicating efforts. Let's make this really global. Come on, guys, we can do this. So we've got three now global products. Sage One for SSB, uh, a product called X3 for Enterprise, kind of ERP size, um, but not an ERP. Um, and then uh, Sage Live is to fit in that SMB space. 10 200 to 200 employees, um, you know, subscription-based, it's, it's, a, it's a, social accounting, a social accounting platform. Uh, and I know that doesn't make much sense to much, many accountants, but it's social because of the platform, it's because of the chatter aspect. It's about the connecting the front and back office and knocking down that wall between the front and back office and saying this is one connected social office. Let's not use that as a roadblock, let's power through that. So this is very much an SMB targeted product. Right. Um, so, you know, Salesforce obviously has, you know, what is it, over 100,000 customers. So I think one of the things that's really attractive, you know, when you look around at um, all these exhibitors and, and people building products on the Salesforce platform, I think one of the big draws is the fact that you're just you're able to tap into this ecosystem of all these potential customers. That had to be a big factor for you guys. Or, yeah, or was it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, I think you've, we've got three million customers worldwide. I think, you know, um, it's a huge customer base and the, and the very loyal customers. We have great support. We're, we are world-renowned for being uh, a true partner for SMBs. And that's because we've got a fantastic support system, a bit like the Salesforce support system. You know, we're online 24 hours. We offer cust personal customer support. And that's what keeps, uh, keeps our, our customers. Um, and whether we, we migrate some customers on Surge Live or not, um, you know, we're very attractive in that SMB space because of the reputation we've gained through the support mechanism and through our products. Our products are fantastic. Uh, we, you know, we've grown them over many, many years. We've got several flagship products out there that have you know, huge amounts of customers who are very, very happy using them. So they may continue to use that. Uh, but these the, the kind of non-global products uh, will continue to be developed on there, continue to be you know, um, sold and supported. And, you know. But net new customers, new customers who come on to Sage Live, you know, we're hoping that they'll see the true balance of it, not just Sage, not just the Sage brand and the Sage benefits, but look, Salesforce, you get all the benefits and the security and all the bits we just talked about, you get that as well. Uh, and it's just it's such a fantastic offering, so. Yeah. I feel like I'm dominating here, but I, I can keep asking <laughs> questions. Um, what did you guys, when you, uh, you know, when you were planning your Dreamforce, what, you know, what was the thought behind, you know, what, what you want to get out of this? You're basically launching now, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been in early adopter program for a couple of months now. So in North America and the UK, uh, circa 30 customers in North America in the early adopter program. So we go general availability in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, and and we've, we've spent, and the reason we've kind of held this back is because we've been putting together these customer business centers all around the world to, again, drive support sales and digital marketing because we didn't want to launch this amazing product and have no one support them. We need to have that support mechanism in place. So we've once launched one in Atlanta, uh, which launched a few months back, and they're building a brand new office in the kind of tech hub of Atlanta. Um, and we're just about to launch one in Dublin, uh, in Ireland, and that they will support Europe. So we've got North America and Europe coming on board. And when we leave the early adopter program and start, you know, kind of general availability in October, It'll be North America, it'll be the UK, it'll be Spain, it'll be France, it'll be Germany. And we'll roll this out with the product is built globally. It has multi-company, multi-currency, multi-legislation. We're only holding back because we want to offer that fantastic support. Yeah, it's excellent. 
So I wanted to try to get into some of, some of the trials and tribulations of the architecture you guys work with. I'd really like to understand you know, how much of the native platform you're actually able to leverage yeah, um, absolutely. Versus, versus actually just kind of coding it out. Yeah, so everything we've, we've, we've developed right now is being with inside the platform. So it's all Apex, it's all Visual Force. There's some Lightning components that we're starting to tinker with now because when we started the development of this product, Lightning was, we were just about three or four months too early mm -hmm. for Lightning. Uh, we talked to, to, to Doug and to Skip uh, and we talked to those, you know, those, you know, true pioneers of Salesforce. The guys, right. who, you know, so Doug Chasman who created Visual Force, fantastic. Um, and um, you know, we talked to these guys, and it was like we're just too soon to adopt Lightning. We need to get something to, to market around about October, and we're just not Lightning ready yet. So it's all built on on, on, on Apex, on Visual Force, uh, and we're leveraging things like you know, Process Builder or Lightning Process Builder, mm -hmm. uh, workflows, uh, approvals, field updates, or everything that's kind of native to the platform. Um, and I think. Uh, we probably could have done things, things slightly better in the first couple of months, and I think we've learned a lot of lessons from that. Um, I really wish our, our uh, tech evangelist from Salesforce had told us all about uh, the drawbacks of profiles versus permission sets and managed packages and namespaces. Yeah. Uh, they probably did warn us, but naively ignored them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So you know everything is native to the platform. We've not even you know, we've not even really called out of the platform at this point, um, because I think if we're going to adopt cloud, we're going to adopt Salesforce properly. We're going to keep it 100% native, um, and that's what we've been doing so far. So how much of it did it change the way you you know getting into Apex and working within the limitations of the system? How much did that change how you guys approach the situation? I mean, I'm, I'm going to give Jeremy a shout out and his namespace issue here because we don't have that type of organization or hierarchy in the code. And How did you guys deal with that? Well, and specifically what, what John's talking about is the fact that, you know, um, what's, a, what's, your, what's another programming language that you've got experience in besides Apex? So, personally, C-sharp is a big C -sharp. one for me. C-sharp, Java, C, C++. So, what C-sharp calls namespaces, right? It's basically a way to modularize your code. Um, you know, it's typically, you know, namespaces or, or packages, whatever you want to call them. It's, it's usually a unit of, of reuse, a unit of yeah, a distribution, right? Yeah. And in Apex, this is one, this is one of my big things I wish they would I wish they would uh, look at adding um, th there's really no now with managed packages you do have a namespace but it's kind of a thing that's global to your entire yeah. product you're building no but, true but, but within that everything's just in one bucket um, everything in, in that really where, where that becomes a, especially on bigger products like, like I'm sure yours is um, you know, when you have hundreds of classes, or maybe even thousands of classes, um, they all basically, they're all in the name, same namespace, so, so anyone can form a dependency on any other class, and, and then you end up with, you know, basically spaghetti code, so... Back to your question. It's like, how do you deal with that? You know, especially on a large product. I, I'm really curious because I've, I've got, I've got, I've got little. You took my one little question. You went. I well, I just want to make. I want to be clear about what we're talking about because because yeah, yeah. Salesforce does have something called namespaces, but it's really not. And it's, it's not right, the same thing the, as like a C sharp ISBs, namespace, yeah, right? It's, it's more different. Of a so you know, with you know, lacking that type of feature, I mean, how do you, what do you, how do you guys deal with keeping your code organized and making sure that you know, classes that are only meant to collaborate with certain other classes, how do you keep that separation so that you don't end up with just a spaghetti code mess? Well, I think inevitably we can't stop it. But what we did do is we prefixed everything. So we, we have the default namespace, which we have to operate within. But we prefixed everything. So we, we, it's a core accounting engine. So we, we prefixed every class with Sage. Let's have some separation from day one. Let's, let's try and do this. And, we, and then we kind of give it another prefix of ACC for accounting or COR for core or you know, whatever INV for invoicing. And what we're trying to do is it, we can't stop dependency, but we're just trying to show separation, show right. true separation blocks within the code. So we've got core accounting, core invoicing, you know, actual core modules that deal with extensions and 
and variable extensions and all those different things. That's all we could really do. We could just namespace things differently. Same with the visual force. Trying to assure that this belongs with this and this belongs with this and you know, test classes, making sure they, they follow the same name just with a underbar test on it or you know, just it was just about that separation and at first during the proof of concept. I hope we never have to refer to this code again. Uh, but some of it was, you know, just the class or this class or that class. <laughs> the and, class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I swear there'll be a hello world in there as well. And, uh, uh, and, and you, know, you know, by the end of the proof of concept, you, we learned so much. Um, but I, I tell you, nothing, nothing uh, hit us on the head just as much as actually implementing a namespace in a managed package. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was tough. So, so you're talking about basically just naming conventions, so that when you're looking at your list of classes, at least they're sorted somewhat by yeah. by yeah, area module or categorized. They yeah. kind of they kind of grouped together by what area of functionality they are in and what they really should be doing. So, um, when we talk about extensions in terms of like a, a set of extension classes for a string in terms of C sharp on how we refer to it. Uh, so if we were extending the string functionality, you know, it has extensions in there, extension under, under bar string. And all we can really do is kind of convention this to try and make it a little bit more understandable until we get something like a proper namespace. Because we need that separation yeah. of code and we need that, you know, to be able to form those dependencies properly. And, and even naming conventions eventually will fail you. I mean, there's a limit to the, num to the number Four of characters, characters you have. That drives me yeah. crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have you know, a class name and then you, <laughs> you, you go to create the, the test class and you yeah. try to add tests at the end of it. Right. Right. I mean, if we're not going to have, if we're not going to have namespaces, at least let us have, you know, longer names. No, no, things, I right? don't want longer names. I like short I names. Want I, want I, just, names. I want namespaces. <laughs> I agree on that. I want longer names. 40 characters just isn't yeah. enough. Long names are good. You know, I, generally I'm, I'm against abbreviating things and shortening. You really want descriptive class names. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how Especially many times. Especially considering they're global. They're global. I, all your classes are global to the entire thing. So but given, really given give it an a, environment with namespaces, would you not prefer to have shorter names? Or, it, I mean, it, that's, that's it, my, that's it, it my proper names. Proper names, yes. <laughs> it depends on the scope. So it, this is similar to, you know, variable naming. If you have a variable that's in a very small scope, say, you, you know, it's in a, inside a very tight for loop or something, you can give it a short name. It's, it's pretty obvious what it is. But if you've got a variable that's, that has a long-lived scope that's going to be used in, by definition in various parts of the code in, in this big scope. Give it a long name. Give it a you, long you, specific name. You're going to be referencing that in Visual Force as well. Yeah. So, you know, by the exactly. time you see that name there, it's kind of slightly out of context. You might not be, uh, be you know, in the depths of the code. Right. So, it's, but, you know, everybody's been asking for this forever. I mean, I, let's not say never, but I mean, if anybody's holding their breath, they're going to turn blue for this one. Exactly. Yeah. I think I, <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, I Jeremy's ran out of oxygen a, a long time ago. He's a dark purple now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of these things. I, I think it's probably extremely difficult for them to, you know, backport that kind of feature into the platform. They've got, how many, you know, how many lines of Apex code do you think there are? I mean, they'd have to do it in some kind of way that's forwards compatible. Yeah. And yeah. that's just very difficult. So, I mean. So, did they give you any uh, any indication on roadmap around those kind of features on on you know code quality and you know. Just long-term maintenance. I mean, I, I kind of have a question for you around, you know, what's the what's the long-term maintenance plan for what you've got? I mean, you, you know, you're checking it into uh, into source control, and I guess you're you're pushing it through in, in in one direction only. Nobody's allowed to take shortcuts. That's all. That's all you can really do. So, I mean, have you guys got any concerns about how sustainable that is? Um, I think. We've got a lot of enough experience in kind of source control and, and processes for deployments and staging environments and all the things uh, that we're not massively concerned, but we're only 
eight months in, so uh, we haven't hit any major issues yet. And you know, the builds are, are deploying to different staging and, and 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 demo servers, and things are working really well based on Jason's kind of architecture, Jason Lance's architecture. Um, I think the biggest improvement we could make on this is the actual integration with source control, like Git and, and stuff. I, I saw a demo this morning of a, of a product here, uh, and it was it was excellent. You know, true Git. Uh, IDE there and then. Uh, if anyone's worked in a multi-team environment on Force.com or, so, or Salesforce One, um, then you know it's impossible. We cannot do it. We, you know, we were originally told we have to work in separate sandboxes and develop and we merge. And within two weeks, we destroyed each other's code. It was it was yeah. a mess. It was absolutely impossible. That was actually on my list of questions: is how you how you kind of divided the work up between the team. I mean, because there's really no well, get you have your check-in, check-out processes, but within the Salesforce environment itself, it's very easy to kind of go in and step on someone's toes. Yeah, it absolutely is, and I think, um, you know, we eventually ended up in one development org uh, per sprint, so we were on one weekly sprints, and it's a pain because we fire up a new one, we deploy all the metadata, we get everyone set up, and, and we work out of that, and eventually that turned into uh, an org per month because it was just becoming too much of a chore. Um, but we do have kind of feature orgs as well. So if someone's running a long-running long running feature, mm -hmm. we're separating them out and we're merging in later. But we're doing it at that risk of, will it merge properly? Let's face it, Git right. and, and other tools don't merge XML very well. And it's all XML, especially when you're looking at permission sets and profiles and trying to make sure you, 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 your user isn't blocked out because you've merged in from a different branch or you've overridden someone else's change in terms of permission. So it's very difficult. Uh, a lot of it's still very manual, and that's where, that, if, if I was to pick an area, I'd, I'd love to see some improvement. It's around multi-team. And, and speaking of Josh, uh, Kaplan and the team, that is something on their focus. You know, development sandboxes for big teams. Well, that's um, what, you, you, yeah, just goes back to the, what we saw in the keynote. So I'm, I'm not a Heroku user, but you know, the story they told around Heroku, that's how it needs to be, right? They've identified that you know, they were not they were not serving teams very well, they were, you know, not serving test environments very well, and they just put the setup behind buttons and made it that that simple. I mean that's for me that's that that's what it needs to be. You know, I mean I know we can spin up a sandbox in, in Salesforce fairly easily, but like you say, it's like and then you gotta to deploy to it and then you gotta create some test data and yeah. It's, it's, it's just it becomes a full time job. Yeah, absolutely, and it, and it, it literally is for, for this guy who's running our CI. And you know, Marcus is very very clever, um, but I'm sure there's much better use of his time than firing up sandboxes and deploying metadata. In fact, there's definitely better, right. <laughs> better uses. So, so you guys have multiple developers working in the same org? Yes, right now, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I find that interesting. It seems like that's counter to most of the advice I hear, and I, I usually I try to work on a model where each developer has their own sandbox. And then, you know, as as frequently as possible, you know, pushing up commits, you know, pulling down the latest changes, keeping everyone keeping their local sandbox as, as in sync as possible. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, if you've got multiple people in the same sandbox, and let's say you know you're adding you're adding fields and, and workflow rules and triggers, and you know, a lot of those you. It, it's much easier to modify fields and workflow rules and things like that in in the Salesforce UI than it is to actually you know you generally yeah, wouldn't like create the metadata yourself. So you create it in Salesforce, you pull down the metadata you know that, that was created from that under your local system. You commit it. Um, if you've got multiple people doing that in the same way, that's in, that's interesting. That's got that's got to raise the the, the level of communication requirement. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it becomes very difficult, especially because we're a globally distributed team. You know, we've got developers in in the UK, in South Africa, in North America, Canada, 
Spain, you know, it, it, we're globally distributed as a development team and, and, it's, and it's difficult to manage. Um, but it's far better to do that and manage it with this communication than it is to try and merge it from these separate environments because it just became too much. And, you know, different people chose to use Eclipse or to use, you know, other, you know, ants. You know, I'm an ant man, I'm, I like the command line. Yeah. But others, they love Eclipse and uh, from Java backgrounds. And the merging was just destroying everything. So it, it seems safe. And I, and I suppose this has been the, the process we've taken from February up until now. Uh, once things start to settle down and we maybe get a bit more resource, because you know this has been a very quick turnaround. You know how many software companies in the world will release a product from starting on the first of March to releasing in October? It's incredible, incredible. Yeah, pace. I, I got to think your your timeline was was definitely the the big defining factor here because, yeah. like like I said, I've done that. I've tried to set, separate all out, and it works until you try to merge it all in, and then you have to deal with all the collisions and everything that happens, the the overstepping of your workflow against my workflow. Um, because it just breaks your unit testing and everything else. So now you're having to, you know, combine all that. So yeah, I, it's 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 pick your poison. And it if is, you're going to work on the same org, then you're yeah. dealing with a whole different set of problems. And um, yeah, yeah, so so just yeah, in general, I, I would actually that's good to know that that they're working on that story because right now that story is not not very good. It's, no, absolutely, and I think I think that the, my my opinion on a lot of this is it may not be perfect right now. But if we outweigh what the good and the bad are, I think we get so many great things for free. We, we touched on these earlier. You get right. so many things that are just there and just right. These features that just exist, yeah, they could do some improvement, but we're in the right direction. They've got right. hundreds of people working on these teams, making things better. And if Josh and the team can push ahead on multi-team development and debugging, dare I say, um, and all these things, you know, we're, we're going in the right direction. ISVs and developers are definitely becoming the... Uh, you know, a centerpiece for this platform. You know, customers are always going to be the centerpiece, and, and and so they should be. But we, you know, we really we got a valid customer on this platform. And I'm always hoping that uh, you'll see more um, of the kind of the the capabilities and the values of what Heroku embodies uh, get integrated more into into Salesforce. But it just seems like it's been a slow process. I mean, it's been uh, Salesforce bought Heroku what year, years ago now, and. There's there's some connection four years ago, and you know we've got Heroku Connect, which allows you to uh, basically modify your Salesforce org from basically via a local database, right? So, and that's that's interesting, and that I think that solves some problems. But um, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to build my Salesforce triggers in in Java, right, or something, right? And just I, imagine just dropping a WAR file into, into Salesforce, and boom, right? There's your triggers. So you're working, you know, in a in a, in, a, in my opinion, a better language with much better tooling, you know, excellent, you know, um, IDE refactoring and all, all sorts of things that we really miss on the Salesforce platform, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, you know, that again, that's that's kind of my dream of where I would like to see this go. I just think it's. It sounds like you should be a Heroku developer then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think working yeah, on that. Right. <laughs> one very bizarre bit of advice we got when we very started this project. You know, we we landed on in San Francisco on a Saturday. We had a Sunday off the only day off um, and we got into this Salesforce offices Monday morning and we had a bit of a group chat this is the start of something new exciting secret uh, and our group CTO class Michael sat us down and said guys there's one thing I want you to really understand is this is this brand new you don't understand it yet but do not fight this platform embrace it yeah. find its find its boundaries and work within it don't try and push it over those boundaries you know we're, we're learning fast enough we don't want to learn how we, how to repair something we've absolutely broken because we just haven't listened to the advice we've been given. Work with it and just embrace it. Now, I'm, I'm dangerous with accounting, but I do know that there's 
you know, kind of month in processes and you know, just period in processes where you're kind of batching through things and closing down all your, what do they call it, temporary accounts, right, and all these sorts of things. That's something that I would think you would almost immediately run up against governor limits in Salesforce. We, we would, we would absolutely, if we did it traditionally. Okay. Uh, and this is, this is a big thing, so, um, Stop me if I fall into a sales pitch here because I've been pitching oh, for good. two That's days good, now man. to customers and uh, I think I can't decide which world <laughs> I'm in right now. Um, so, uh, you know, traditional software programs uh, and competitors of ours will, will truly batch these things up at, at, at month end or period end. Uh, but we don't do that. You know, we, we, we really reimagined how you do accounting for SMBs. We don't do anything in batch processes. We do everything in real time or as near real time as physically possible. You know, we're firing off asynchronous processes and, and refreshing your eyes and we're doing it as quick as we can because we don't want to have this, this process. A big kind of point is uh, reconciliation of, of, of payments and things has traditionally been a very long screen with lots of payments and you kind of you merge them into different things in the system and you tick them and say, that's reconciled. We don't do that. We reconcile in a truly real-time fashion. We produce reports on something that automatically isn't reconciled. We flipped the whole concept of accounting as much as we could on its head and said, we're not traditional, we're going to do cloud, we're going to, you know, we're not, we can't reuse any code we've ever written anyway, right. so let's do it and let's reimagine it and let's really do it as we would expect a small business user to do it because they don't have hours and hours to reconcile, they don't have hours and hours to file for expense claims and look at receipts, let's use Smart Capture, let's use OCR, let's use all these things to really make that experience better. And if you ever speak or hear of our CEO uh, talking, you know, we're a champion of SMBs. Uh, and the reason that SMBs generally fail is because they run out of time to do things. They work, you know, 50% of them work 70 hour weeks or, or whatever the figure is. It's huge amount. I used to run an SMB uh, and it's time consuming. It's, it's, it's tedious. You, you, when you're trying to run a software company and you're dealing with hours and hours of accounts and fixed and closed periods, you can't do it. Right. So we do it all in real time where possible. You know, the, I don't think there are, is one single batch process. Uh, in, in this, or at least I'll say a batched scheduled process. Right, right. Everything is, is, is processed near real time or, or real time. That's amazing. That, I mean, that's, that's I guess, uh, good that you guys were able to avoid, right? Yeah, absolutely. This, and, and don't get me wrong, we're still, we still hit governor limits, or at least we, you know, we would have if we didn't really take some sound advice. And we were very fortunate because we, uh, we were assigned a very good technical evangelist from Salesforce. He's the principal evangelist on the ISV side, a guy called Mark Custer. Uh, he's actually based in France, so he's a little more, little more local to us than, uh, than San Francisco. Um, and he is, he used to be a trainer, uh, worked up through the evangelist track, and he's fantastic. And he, and he kind of, he sat down with us on very few occasions and said, I'm going to be frank, if you do that, you know, you're going to really regret that later. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we took advice on, on governor limits and, uh, and bulkifying and patchifying, and, you know, we spent the five days in the global meeting room in, in Newcastle, doing a 501 training course with a chap from California. Um, and he drilled into us, you must do this, otherwise you can hit these limits, you can have, you know, everything's gonna fall flat on its face, you can't catch these exceptions. Right. You hit a so-called limit, it's just gonna throw it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's really no recovering from it. Uh, and, and you guys have had, you know, your, uh, you know, ongoing support from Salesforce to kind of keep, keep guiding you guys as you as you build your Salesforce chops, right? Yeah, so absolutely. We've got three full-time technical evangelists who work with us day to day. It's fantastic. Mean, how, how do I get that? <laughs> uh, good question. Guess, you know, build a build a giant accounting product. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe that, maybe this is, maybe said you've got a few kind of uh, yeah. benefits. Maybe yeah. no, I just, it's not I, really my side. I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that it's such a great story for Salesforce to have a company like Sage pick Salesforce as their cloud platform. I mean, John and I talked about it when we heard the announcement. I was just like, 
I don't believe this. I just don't believe this. Um, well, we, our initial reaction when we saw the video, because I think it was with your CEO who did the kind of intro teaser video, and we're like, is that real? Is that Viper? Is that Vaporware? Is that, is that PowerPoint with the screen sliding in? Because, I mean, the time it took to take, and we know the struggles, I mean, with Financial Force and, and how long they've been kind of developing and all the tooling and everything they had to build around their product. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. And, uh, you know, I got asked several times, <clears throat> because this product, project is, is kind of run under the radar because it's all very new and... Uh, and it was just, it had to happen at the, sp at the speed of now. We had to just develop and get on and produce something. And um, it was just, it was done so quickly that we just couldn't keep everyone in the loop. And um, when we came to demoing these, and we, you know, we had our Sage Summit in, in July, which is our annual conference, nowhere the size of Dreamforce, but it's, you know, it's a fantastic event of partners and customers. Um, and we were showing demos there. I wasn't personally there, but we were showing demos there and people were saying, this is fake, this is made up. That Apple Watch you're showing us, that on the screen, it's not real. It's real, it's all real. We built an iOS app from day one. Half of our development team is built, just, it's, it's developing this app on the watch, on the iPad, on the iPhone. They're just building out these features on top of Salesforce One. And all of the really doing is we're re-rendering re everything using the Analytics API, the REST APIs, metadata APIs, and just pulling this information and rendering it in a slightly better way for our customers to have a, a slightly better experience. But it was all real from day one. It's fantastic how quickly it was produced. So you, you guys have built a native iOS app? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's part of Sage Live? Yeah, so we've got a, it, it's going to be launched on the App Store uh, in general availability. It's on, uh, it's on our beta testing program right now, and people can get access to it. Uh, but it's native uh, to iOS. And the reason for that is uh, Salesforce One does a very good job at a lot of things. Um, but we weren't Lightning there. Lightning wasn't there, and we really need to change the UI very slightly. And, and, and when Lightning comes and we can embed that directly in Salesforce One, it's going to be fantastic. It's yeah. going to be better than it is. But yeah. you know, being, right now we needed a better UX. Yeah. I think there's, there's, um, you know, people are kind of unsure about, you know, what the story is with the Salesforce One container on mobile. You know, should they put everything there, or should they go and, and you know, create their own container and have more control over, you know what core services are available to them, right? Because the Salesforce One still don't let you access uh, all, of the, all of the APIs on the phone. Um, but if you look at the, because the customer I'm working for at the moment, they, you know, they're kind of looking at this and they're like, well, we'll put it in Salesforce One, right? But actually, if you look at the Dreamforce app this year, that's a really good example, I think, of kind of uh, the mixture of a, of, a, of a hybrid app, right? So they've got some native features in there. Clearly, the agenda scrolls really smoothly. That's probably native and just fed by yeah. JSON. Just don't scroll backwards. <laughs> just not scroll smoothly backwards. No, no. But it's it, it's clearly it's yeah. like it's not it's not right. just a browser frame. Whereas like if you go into Chatter, that's that seems to be uh, a, a browser frame. Uh, but it's it's a really nice product that, that they've made. Yeah, there. yeah. You know, I can see lots of companies you know of any size kind of having that that thing. So I, I don't you know I think for me I if anybody who's got you know, real need for that. They're probably going to be outside of, of Salesforce One. I, I think it. I mean, you know, anytime you build a mobile app, you you have that decision of do we build? Do you build it natively, or do you build? You know, with the you know the embedded web UI, right? Where you are using web technologies to build your UI and something like a Cordova. And it's to, such a tough decision. I mean, because you build on web technologies and you have that very attractive you know, being able to push it across multiple devices. You know, you're, you're on Android now, you're on Windows Phone, you're on iOS. Um, but I've seen companies take that route, you know, as a way to kind of get it out there, get their product, get their V1 out, and then start to bring it back into native because they really want that, that experience. I think, I think that's actually a fine way to approach it. I mean, 
one of the best things to do is just do do whatever's quickest to get something out there. Because really, the the main thing you're trying to do is validate. A lot of times, it's just validate your idea or your model or this thing that you're building. And it costs a lot of money to make software. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think I think a big decision for us was I think there's two two kind of big points on this brand. Um, Sage has got a very strong global brand. And with Salesforce One, it's Salesforce's brand. And there's no, there's nothing you know bad against that. But it's not the Sage brand. If someone wants to go into a Sage product and find the mobile app that you know that works with that product, they want to be finding Sage, not Salesforce. And I think that was a big driver behind the iOS kind of the native app. But also, we we have very good native capabilities in Sage. And, and it's all about pace again. You know, we could have just used Salesforce One. It might have been quicker on certain areas, but when we wanted to have better user experience, better workflow than the, the traditional utilitarian approach, it would have just been too much to do. So let's take it. Let's let's understand that this is based at an SMB customer who's going to be looking at this either as a very quick overview or a very rapid data entry system. And and with Salesforce One or with Salesforce's current utilitarian platform, it's very slow. Uh, it's not quite built for that very quick, very slick user experience, and that's what we really needed from day one. Yeah, it just it depends on your use case, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, as with as with the Salesforce One platform, the, the what do we call the mobile? What's the is the you know the Salesforce One mobile experience, right? I mean, it's it's designed for you know a, a certain set of it's like an eighty twenty thing, right? I mean, if it if it works for your use case, it's probably going to be much cheaper and easier, right, to build it. On, on light, you know, Lightning, Salesforce One Mobile, what have you. Right. Um, but you know, there's cer- certain things. If you need, if you need access to certain hardware features that Salesforce One doesn't expose, right, or whatever, then uh, it might make sense to, to go and, native. And even the navigation, if you're if you're kind of building an app, which y- you end up kind of drilling through, yeah. um, Salesforce One ha- Mobile has a, has a way that kind of lets you go from you know the records to cards, which is a representation of the related list, and then you go into the, the next record and. You kind of start feeling fatigue at all of this, you know, extra clicking. Whereas, you know, if you if you were going to build it native or that part of it natively, you could be much more slick in terms of how you were how you were going to do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, so. there's in the in the Salesforce One mobile app. There's there you can get yourself in a situation where it literally is like you know five taps to get to be able to get back to your main menu, right? And I'm sure these are things that they'll they'll work on improving improving that UI. But that's just kind of where it is right now. So I think I think I'm the uh, the probably the most underqualified developer side of this table. We've got two MVPs and uh, <laughs> and I kind of feel like I'm the newest to the platform. So you know, you guys have a wealth of experience. You know, what what's your kind of biggest bugbears with, with well, the platform? Ours is all ours is all a hard hard won experience. They they sat you down in a room for two weeks <laughs> yes. and, and told you told you everything. It took us years to find out. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I think for me. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I changed jobs recently, and, and I'm, I'm talking a lot more with the um, with the enterprise architects, and you know, there are challenges always. You know, oh look, you know, okay, so you've got a nice feature that Salesforce have given you for free, like SharePoint Connect or something. All right, if we turn that on, and you know, it's no effort, that's great. But you know, how does that fit into the the, the overall picture, the bigger picture? Um, and you know, I, I think. That's kind of one of the, the the newer challenges I think that we're seeing is that Salesforce really has got I don't know what word should we use they've really got some traction right now because they 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 cleaned up them they cleaned up all the technical debt or some of the technical debt they had around how they built stuff so now they're turning stuff out really quick and you've got alliances with Microsoft and so all of these like you know sweeties in the sweet shop are, are being handed out and you know I think for 
you know, not not necessarily for ISVs like you guys, but I think for you know, day-to-day salespeople, uh, Salesforce users out there that of any size, it's you know, do we just take what's given to us and, and plug it in and use it? You know, what's the long what's the long-term impact of that going to be? So I think for me, I think that's that's the thing that I'm going to be watching for for the next couple of years. Um, uh, these guys are much more qualified to talk about the, the trials and tribulations of code. For me, I'm, I'm looking at tooling. I'm looking for some more attention on the developer tooling inside of things. We have a lot of great uh, products out here trying to attempt to make that better for us, trying to give us options. But ultimately, there's a wall. So there's only so much you can do you know, client-side or on the opposite side of the API to kind of help us developers you know, with code sense and all that. But at some point, you have to hit compile. And that's got to go to the servers. It's got to come back, and you got to deal with all of that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking for that that kind of relationship to kind of get better, the tooling to get better. I would love to see something like Heroku in Salesforce. Uh, I think we've, we want to. Jeremy said if that ever happened, he'd, he'd run up to Benioff and give him a big bear hug. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Good luck with that. <laughs> Despite you know. his security team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In your way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I would make it, but I would try. Yeah, I, you know, I think you know the the round trip for saves and compiles and just um, I have no idea why Apex tests run so slowly. I don't know if it has to spin up an entire database every time you yeah. run a test or what yeah. it is. Um, and, and even some of the, the solutions that we're getting to kind of help improve that, like selectively running tests and things like that, or even ISV products, they'll get to run their own tests within that and it's isolated. Um, it helps. That's that's a dangerous feature, it, though. It, it helps, but it just kind of screams to a larger technical you, you issue. You often don't know which test should rerun based on a certain set of changes you've done. Yeah. That's the whole point of tests. You don't know what you've broken, so how would I know which tests I need to rerun? Yeah. It's yeah. very it's very similar to the, the practical problem of multiple developers, you know, in separate orgs. You don't know until you try to put it all back together again. Whereas right. if they're all in one org, you know really quickly. The same as if you run all the tests you know, well, not really quickly because you have to wait for the test to run, but, but at least you're thorough. Or at least consistency. How about that? <laughs> I could run something from the Salesforce interface, the dev console. I'll get, it, I'll get a specific error. I could run it from my tooling and I won't get the error or I'll get some weird error or something right. that bubbles up. Or my, my migration tool that deploys that and runs the unit test and gets a completely different error to everything yeah. else. Yeah. 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 Or a completely different set of uh, code coverage numbers. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. The, the estimated code I, coverage. I still don't understand that. Um, you know, there's other things like, you know, I've, I've, I've worked on some fairly large projects and, you know, if you're using, you know, Ant or, or really the metadata API, so anything that uses, it uses that, I think there's a limit. The, the whole package size can't be greater than 400 megabytes. So in that, in that situation, you've got to split your deployment up, and you, know, you might, might have a scenario where you know, the first half of that deployment goes through just fine, and on the second half of the deployment, there's some problem. And if the, your deployment takes three hours to deploy for all the tests run, now you're minimum three hours that your org is essentially down or in a dangerous, undefined state, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's if you can get a, the problem fixed immediately. I mean, I, and, and there's no rolling back, okay? There's no rollback tool because put that on the list because Salesforce yeah. deployments are not you know idempotent you know modular things they're they're just you know when you deploy something to Salesforce it's it's hacking away it's whittling away at what's already there it's doing some deletes and some adds and and it's 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 not a it's not atomic right that's that, that, and that's the big one and there's I think for me there's there's several aspects to that you know full su- support for all the metadata items, right? So, I, you know, in the last job I used to have a scruffy printout taped to the whiteboard of the, the 27 things 
which weren't supported and then you know one of the other guys actually went and wrote some other stuff on the bottom of it that you know didn't you know wasn't yeah. actually working properly as well but but yeah the, the atomic like rollback wouldn't that be great yeah that would be amazing and, and salesforce likes to talk about being api first but until you can work down that list of you know 50 things that are not supported via the metadata api then you're really not api first i know, i know that's it's you know a lot of work to get there but if we want a truly automatable um, automatable? Uh, yeah, is that is that a word? Con- automatable. Yeah, consistent. Yeah, consistent, repeatable. <laughs> you know, um, predictable. De- you know. Yeah. I mean, really, in Salesforce, I mean, the problem is, is that right now because of these problems, I mean, deployments are, you know, people are scared to do deployments. They don't do them frequently enough because they're because they're slowly about these problems. So you do infrequent deployments, which is really not a good direction to go in. You know, more the more frequent, the better, but. It's something that people do, they'll do over weekends, right? Which is also kind of an anti-pattern. If you're only doing your deployments over weekends, that means that you're doing something wrong yeah. or that or the system is not supporting you in the right way. Yeah, I mean, the, the guys that I'm working with on, on their project right now, they had the deployment, um, you know, as the last item on the sprint. So they would they would do a 10-day sprint. And and I'm like, kind of spoke out of turn a little bit. About it. You're, you're crazy because you're basically eating up a whole load of development time there to something which you, know, you can't control. Right, you, you know, you might not officially finish your sprint if you go to deploy and uh, because of some downstream change, test coverage fails, and it's you know it's not going to let you deploy those changes because you know somebody broke the rules and, and put some stuff in, and that's that's happened several times. And now they've decoupled the, the deployment stage out of out of the sprint just so that they can you know from a development cycle they can go on and, and you know start the next week. Um, and you know, if they don't deploy until Wednesday, well, then you know that's fine. Sometimes it takes till Wednesday. Right. And I'm not, I'm not sure how much time we have because we're kind of running over, and it's his time slot. But I do want to ask because you had mentioned I'd asked you yesterday, you know, how you're going to deal with the constant release cycle, and you, you actually said that you were going to start your, your releases are actually weekly. They are really weekly right now. Yes. Yeah. So we uh, we do a code freeze on a Thursday. We package, and, and don't forget we're globally distributed again. So we're doing this at a suitable time where it works for North America, for Canada, for you know. West Coast, so we're having to kind of do a code freeze, and then uh, QA gets involved. We start kind of doing prepackaged stuff, uh, and then we kind of get the QA stuff moved. So we've got a release org where we're getting QA done. Then once we're happy, we're packaging, and then we're doing QA on package against different environments, different licenses. You know, it takes probably two or three days for QA to start and finish. Wow. But that, that's half of your development cycle. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, as we just said, we've moved it out of the sprint. So it's, it's effectively, the sprint has ended. And, and just because we release weekly, we're not releasing to customers weekly. Right. We could bundle three or four of those up. And, uh, and we're on that cycle where we can, we can continue to develop and we can continue forward. But we're not freezing that time on it as well. Did, uh, my guest's not here, John, so it's, it's, we can keep going. So did, uh, did they, um, Salesforce guys show you their um, their agile methodology and their agile tools. Gus, did you did they show you that? No, no, I don't think so. So I haven't checked it out myself yet. But over in apparently over in the back of the the dev zone, they've got uh, the App Exchange version of of that agile tool that Salesforce uses. It's available. Is that but, new? So apparently, it's a soft launch. The so I remember we, years we just, ago at a few Dreamforces, I I got into one of these uh, rooms with a PM and asked asked him the. They were trying to just—they were trying to describe their their process, their methodology, and everyone was in the room was just asking, you know, well, 
how can we see that? Can we get some documentation? How so, are you doing that? Yeah, so so one of the uh, one of the other MVPs was telling me it's it's on the App Exchange. It, we probably just doubled the number of people that know about it. <laughs> um, but you know, they've got, it's it's uh, you know it runs on enterprise. So you've got to be a paying customer. It doesn't run in a dev org, uh, and it's got all the Kanban, you know, draggy droppy stuff. It's it's got it's got everything that you need. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go over and check that out because uh, I know everybody like settles on Jira, but Jira, Jira's pretty ugly when it comes to, it to that. So I don't <laughs> yeah. know how it got to be so popular. I, I, because it has all, all the, it has all the are features. Kind of ugly. It, it, I don't yeah. know. It, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I forgot to mention this this uh, this practice of of um, prefixing having. Um, I guess namespace, you know, pseudo namespaces for your code in Salesforce, and ending up with, you know, thousands of classes in just in this one bucket. Um, internally, uh, I've heard Salesforce calls that the happy soup. The happy soup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's incredible. I don't know how happy it is, but well, it's definitely it's not soupy. happy. <laughs> we, we talked a lot about kind of the things that frustrated us. Was there a feature on the platform, or at least in, in Apex, that you just said, "Wow, that, without that, we we wouldn't have been able to do this." Security, the data model, was there just anything about it that you were just like? Um, good question. Good question, I have to think about that one. Yeah. No, nothing springing to mind. It was just a fire hose of development, just yeah. trying to get it out the door. Yeah, exa exactly, exactly, exactly that, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. We're running long. Are we good? We're good. Hey, you, you so, what did you guys going? think of the keynote? Did you get to go? As I keynote? didn't. No, I'm unfortunately working in marketing as well uh, as my day job as a developer. Yeah. So uh, I've got a very strict booth schedule. Um, but also because of my role as an ISV evangelist, uh, I'm also meeting lots of partners here as well. So we've got several kind of partners we're launching with. I'll not name. Uh, I don't want to do, use this as a marketing as a marketing pitch. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm working with partners as well, so I've got to you know, meet partners and make sure things are going well and, and that we're happy for releases and. And all these other things. So, no, unfortunately, I don't get to see all the nice, fun stuff that I want to see. Get to see the band. Did you participate in the the sing along that we had? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I, I even missed the keynote. I even missed Mark's keynote yesterday for booth duties, even though no one was there. But uh, no, I'm, I'm definitely missing all the good stuff of Dreamforce. I haven't really got any swag either. I don't, everyone's got bags full of uh, <laughs> toys and robots and stuff and scooters, and I've got nothing <laughs> apart from Sage stuff. So uh, we, yeah. we might have some swag for you. Oh, that's good. That's good because I have absolutely none. I think the, the the only thing that I've been given, which I haven't seen, is uh, pizza socks. Pizza socks. Socks with pizza on. And uh, they're probably they're waiting downstairs for me. Not quite sure where they came from. <laughs> that's pretty unique. <laughs> so what about you guys? Yeah. Well. What yeah, was your takeaway from the keynote? Stevie Wonder was, you know, that was a bit of a treat. Yeah. Um, so my, yeah, I got it. I think um, I think the Salesforce IQ stuff was interesting. Um, my observation on the keynote was that they they restructured a little bit this year. There was there was less thanks. Uh, there was less you know uh, uh, non uh, non profit type stories, and they really you know they really kind of have so much to talk about. I think product wise, and I think that that's a an aspect of you know their capability to to. Um, to deliver products now is 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 increasing. Like you know, so they've got the health cloud, they got financial services cloud. You know, all of that stuff is built on on the platform rather than built you know behind the scenes with with Java. So I just it, I just felt like they were trying to cram so much in. Um, but I thought Parker and Mark were really relaxed. They were you know they were riffing off each other. Yeah, they're, they're good buddies. I think because you can see it. I, it gave me a good feeling that you know things are heading in the right direction. 
in terms of uh, you know the machine is kind of you know they, they, they got the engine you know tuned now and you know not everything's perfect but it, it's it's going well so but I, I you know I think I think the IQ stuff is interesting I thought the IOT stuff was interesting as well so they kind of stuck IOT in the middle of the cloud bubble um, right. but the, I'm not sure about the story they told so they told the story of you know hooking up to Azure and all this data coming down from Azure wasn't exactly an IoT story in, in my book. And then they didn't do anything with the data as well. So it was kind of like half a story. Yeah, there, there's definitely something we'll have to dig into there. But um, yeah, I think we'll start to wrap this up so we can let you get back to your booth and yeah, yeah. maybe grab some food. Yeah, great. Thanks. I've not had lunch all week, so that <laughs> will literally be a first if I get to eat today. Uh, I just actually want to touch on the IoT story very quickly and sorry yeah, to give you no, guys. My opinion on IoT right now is things are kind of very weak at this point. You know, IoT is banded around because it's a very popular term and people want to be seen as the IoT guys. And sticking it in the middle of the cloud, I thought, was, uh, was a very nice marketing pitch. But it's not really at the center of everything they do, and I think that, that needs to change. And if they're going to do IoT, let's start making it something useful. Invest that time into doing something useful for your customers. Uh, I've seen lots of IoT things, and none of them have gone, wow, that's actually any good to me. Um, yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but IoT, I mean, it's a bit of a fad right now, and I'd love to see something really, truly IoT. Well, until my refrigerator can actually order the milk for me, then... <laughs> then it's not finished. It is not delivered, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, I, I know the, the Microsoft and Salesforce, you know, partnership is kind of old news at this point, but um, I did think it was interesting that they're going to be running the whole, you know, pipeline, the data ingestion and processing through Azure. That's... Right. That's, that also says a lot about this, uh, the future of this partnership, I think. Yeah. What, I, what I think I understood was that they were using their marketing cloud to take action when, you know, when, when, when stuff was identified. And that, so, so it was kind of like Microsoft's data, and then you know, are we saying Microsoft doesn't have, you know, doesn't have the capability to have kind of marketing cloud technology, but oh, Good news, Marketing Cloud was written on SQL Server exactly. and .NET, so it's, it's like a match made in heaven. It's just, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's all marketing, really, but I, I, I don't know. It's just, I think it's a sign that um, this relationship, it may be, it may be, there's more to it than, I think, we're, I think we're seeing the tip of the iceberg right now. And I don't know, the, the people are even speculating that perhaps even there's some kind of bigger Microsoft uh, Salesforce deal that's already been worked out or done, and we're just going to see that come to fruition through a series of, of announcements like this. But, you know, and I have we'll have to wait take. and see. But I, I, just, I just have to take that Microsoft's got some great new leadership, and they're spreading themselves out everywhere they can. They're making partnerships wherever they can. You know, they've always kind of been in this, this bubble of Windows, and they've, they've just kind of burst that, and they've been spreading themselves everywhere they can. Yeah, and, and really not by their own choice, right? I mean, the world, the world you know, Microsoft has seen the world changing to be a less... Um, you know, hege you know, hegemonic, you know, Windows type of situation, and yeah. you know, I think their previous CEO didn't handle that very well, and and the you know the new guy, he's really, he, and you can tell he's he sees that um, there, there's all sorts of, of, of ways to partner and to you know spread their products out. That it's that's a very heterogeneous situation. Yeah. Well, on that note, Matt, one of my reasons for having you on this show is I really want to get our catchphrase out there in your accent. <laughs> well, before we before we wrap up. I mean, where can Kevin? Where can people find out more about yeah, yeah, Sage sorry. Live? You know, you guys have a URL, or you know, you're so if you're if you're listening to this and you're still at Dreamforce, you guys are you guys are in the expo. Yes, yeah, so we're in uh, Moscone West. We're on the ground floor on W three hundred. Uh, so we're in the main doors and turn left, just near, uh, just in the corner there. 
Uh, so come and take a look, sidelive.com, uh, find out some more information. And like I said, general availability two weeks from now. Um, and let's see what we can do. You know, we can really, we can really change the future of business and and, uh, and, and and accounting. You know, it's a big thing. It's a big archaic thing. We still use concepts from hundreds of years ago. So let's try and make it at least interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And can you know, congratulations on your the experience that you guys had and the success you guys had on the platform. That's it's a great story. Thanks, yeah. guys. Appreciate that. And thanks for having me. To that I say, good day, sir. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I'm not worthy. <laughs>